A post on X, a.k.a. Twitter, got my attention this week. It was from ESPN Stats and Info, and the tweet read, quote, Ohio State, 19%, and Penn State, 9%, currently have the second and third best chance to win the national championship according to the All-State playoff predictor. If Penn State can win on Saturday, its chances double to 18%. OSU's chances jump to 25% with a win. End of tweet. Now you may be thinking, well, that seems pretty irrelevant for an Oklahoma football podcast. And you would be right based on what the tweet said. However, the mini infographic that accompanied the tweet from ESPN Stats and Info was the part of the post that caught my eye. Remember how the tweet said that Ohio State and Penn State currently have the second and third best chance at winning the national title? Well, it turns out the team that's at the top of the All-State playoff predictor right now is Oklahoma at 22%. Well, there it is, everybody. Pop the champagne. No need to play out the final half of the regular season on the field. Go ahead and put that trophy, trophy number eight, inside the Switzer Center right now. Clear your schedules for the parade on Lindsay Street. While we're at it, might as well all buy Lays to celebrate Dylan Gabriel's Heisman Trophy win. Now, while the 2023 season has been a fairy tale so far, it's going to take a lot more good fortune for the aforementioned two scenarios to play out the rest of the way. Yes, Oklahoma is a much better football team than I thought they'd be, and I'm so pleasantly surprised by that and very happy to have been wrong through six games. Now, can the Sooners win it all? Yes. Can Dylan Gabriel win the Heisman Trophy this season? Also, yes. But the All-State playoff predictor isn't making those decisions. Oklahoma will. And technically, for Gabriel's sake, the Heisman voters will. For the record, odds makers give the Sooners the seventh best odds to win the national title right now behind, in reverse order, Penn State, Washington, Ohio State, Florida State, Georgia, and Michigan. Meanwhile, DG's odds to win the Heisman are actually pretty good. Only Michael Penix has better odds at the moment. Penix is at minus 125, which I think is pretty crazy for this early in the season. Minus money for a Heisman bet in mid to late October? That's not a good bet right now. There's zero value. Dylan Gabriel, by the way, is at plus 800 to win the Heisman Trophy. But let's get back to that tweet from ESPN Stats and Info. For a team that's played as well as Oklahoma has through six games, man, the Sooners are still flying way under the radar nationally. Oklahoma's got the best chance to win the national title, according to those playoff predictor odds, and the Sooners weren't even mentioned in the body of that tweet. Nobody expects Oklahoma to keep up this pace, and to be honest, that's fair. It really is. As much as we all want to completely move on from last season, we can't. That team went 6-7. and seven. And people remember that. I remember that. It's not completely crazy for a college football fan to be expecting the Sooners to bow out of contention here in the next five to six weeks. But if the Oklahoma team that we've seen through the first six games is who this Oklahoma team really is, then... I think we're not yet done watching some special moments from the 2023 football season. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. And another fourth down play for the Longhorns. Got a hurry here. Play clock at four. 
They're going to throw for it. Worthy. Stop short. Four plays from the one. They can't get in. And Oklahoma goal line stand that just became part of the lore of this rivalry. Billy Bowman got there. Wow, what a moment. Hassan McCullough and Billy Bowman. Welcome us into another edition of West of Everest. Yep, the goal line stand. Had to play that again as our intro today leading into our latest episode. Lee Benson alongside Grant Benson. And off the top, I got to apologize for the delay. You know what? We took the bye week with the team. We did. We took it. Uh, no regrets. Recharged the batteries a little bit. And we're back. Oklahoma's back this week against UCF. 11 a.m. kick in Norman. A very interesting matchup, a very interesting situation for Oklahoma going into this game. Grant, welcome back in. I know we have a lot to talk about here with UCF coming into town. A situation where its starting quarterback uh, is is back, started last week against Kansas, came out very early, did not finish the game. And it could be a situation where uh, maybe John, is it? John Rice Plumley or Riz Plumley? I guess I, I think it's like that, I think it's like Riz. Like you would pronounce I, it like I, I it's R E Z. the broadcast said Rice. Yeah, it's it's weird. I've, I've heard Plumley. it over the course of the last like five years. I've heard that dude's name pronounced or the the Rise, the Riz, the Reese part of it. So many, just so many different ways. And you know what? I kind of feel like we got to get this right because we need some good mojo going here. We don't, we, we can't like get it wrong and everything. And then uh, a John, I, I like, I think it's Reese. I, I think it's John Reese Plumley is what it's supposed to be. But, but like, we can't have like a 35% healthy John Reese Plumley run for 200 yards on this OU defense. Yeah. And you say that because he, so I, I watched the last time he was fully healthy was against Boise State weeks ago, week two. And, I could have sworn the broadcast of that they call they call him Rise Plumley, so who knows? And and like of course there's the actor Jonathan Riz Myers, <laughs> which is like the only other person I've ever seen with Riz maybe that's as what I'm their name. Like maybe that's what I'm taking that from, or is it Riz Myers? I, you know what? You think we would have figured this out before we pushed record on the podcast today, but we didn't. We did not. <laughs> uh, by the way, for the second episode in a row. Uh, you're in Minnesota again, but I'm in a different spot. I, before I was in Maine, now I'm in Idabel, Oklahoma. I'm in southeastern Oklahoma. Just uh, who knew that working for the agriculture department in Oklahoma would uh, have you travel to so many different locations? But that's beside the point. Uh, internet still works here, and uh, we can still talk about OU football. So either way, though, uh, the quarterback Plumley is he 100? percent It would seem like he's not because he came back last week. Was three of seven, exited in the first quarter, did not look healthy. And uh, yeah, he's going to start against Oklahoma, but it makes you wonder how much more healthy can he be after a week? I don't know. Yeah, I was actually, when I was watching the, and it, it's not a weekly, they, they played two weeks ago. So UCF's on a bye as well. They're on a bye too. That's right. That's right. So I'm this sure. was, I mean, this start was 11 days ago for, for, for Plumlee. And um, hey, I, I watched that game. Um, Kansas obliterated UCF. That that game was not competitive, and um, Plumley was legitimately the most unhealthy starting quarterback I maybe have, have ever seen at this level. I like to the point where if if UCF was kind of like a bigger program and like in a, in a bigger spot right now, maybe like you know go back in time three or four years when they were a top ten team and they were they were chasing undefeated seasons. 
and they would have had a bigger spotlight on like spotlight on them and they ran their quarterback out there like that who is very obviously not just injured still very injured they got a lot of heat for that he looked awful go back and watch the first quarter of that game dude can barely move and the way he was injured against Boise State back in week two, he he twisted his leg backwards, uh, so it's a knee issue, it would appear. And and he he looked very hobbled because he tried to play the next play. He did in that game, handed it off, and was just limping everywhere. So obviously he was hurt uh, before he was injured. He and he was injured very the very last drive of the game when uh, UCF was driving down to try to win the football game with a field goal, which they did. Uh, I thought he was really good against Boise State. I thought he looked really, really good. Like big. I, I saw him a little bit back when he played for Ole Miss, and he could run and, and stuff. But I thought he looked athletic. He could run, run well. His he threw like he was throwing the ball all over the yard. Uh, just UCF's offense kept stalling out and could not convert red zone opportunities into points. And his receivers were backfiring on him because. He threw two picks in that game, and both of them were off of drops by his receivers. One of them, one of them should have been a touchdown pass. So I thought he was really good before he got hurt. Now he's back, didn't play a whole lot two weeks ago, and we'll see how much more healthy he is against Oklahoma on Saturday. He was a guy who won when I watched their opening game this season against Kent State, and I was kind of watching him run around and just sort of the way that that offense operated. And, and that's against a really, really bad football team in Kent State. Uh, but when I was watching Plumlee, I was like, ah, crap. I was like, this guy's this guy's going to run for 200 on OU. He just, he just is. And um, I, if he's healthy enough to run for 200 yards in Oklahoma now after what I saw just 11 days ago, uh, there's some black magic voodoo bad stuff going on essentially like it would be like him like how we've started this podcast and sort of all of like the rhetoric around UCF coming into this week I mean they're three and three haven't won a big 12 game um I told you before going on like before coming on here the last five quarters they've played they've maybe been the worst power five team in the country have just been dreadfully terrible uh then the fourth quarter against Baylor three weeks ago they get outscored 29 to nothing blow that game, blow a 35 to 7 lead into the fourth quarter. And then they just got they like it's it's hard to describe to you how uncompetitive that game against Kansas was. Like Kansas Kansas looked like OU playing against like like South Dakota a couple of years ago. That's kind of what it looked like. So, um I I don't know. Like and my my priors kind of coming into this week is if you would have asked me a month ago or maybe a month and a half ago right before the season started, I probably would have put this game as OU's second or third toughest game of the entire season. Um, what's happened so far over the course of the season, it's hard to support that feeling. But I still feel weird. And it's going to be a hat tip to our friend Brady Trantham who said this on one of his last podcasts about how when he was apologizing for some of his takes or for picking OU to lose against Iowa State and Texas just because that's just how he feels. That's just kind of he's he's sort of a half-glass-empty guy, and I think we all get it from <laughs> over the last like decade or so. And um, that is how I feel about this game and next week's game as well. I, I, I think these next two games, this is it. If OU gets through these, these two games, I think they're going to run the table. 
So interesting, by the way, I don't know if we've ever started a podcast like we have today where we've jumped right in on the opposing team and just focus on that for 10 minutes. So this is this may be a first in West of Everest history. Let's roll with it. Let's go. I like it. Which, I don't know what that means. I don't know. I mean, to me, it means that I think Plumlee is a really good quarterback, but the fact that they brought him back when they did against Kansas when he wasn't 100% healthy is very curious because let's say he hadn't played against Kansas, and this is the first time he's, he's appeared since he was injured against Boise State. I'd be thinking, well, the only reason he's coming back is because he's, he's healthy, he's good, and he can move again, and here we go. I mean, he looked really good against both Boise State and Kent State. Granted, the competition is not Oklahoma, but I mean, it was on the road at Boise State. He was really good. The offense moved the ball really well against Boise State. I'd be like, okay, I don't even know if the last, what, four games matter for UCF because he, he wasn't playing in those games, Plumley. Now with him back, they were 2-0 and with him as a starter. Here we go. This is a brand-new UCF team. I'm not sure what to expect here, but the fact that we saw him for a couple of series against Kansas a couple weeks ago and he didn't look very good makes you think, okay, is it going to be the same script? Is he going to go out there and see if he can throw the ball around and maybe if he can – be a drop back passer, not have to move a whole lot, and he can exploit that Oklahoma secondary. Then okay, Gus Malzahn will leave him in. Or if he struggles, well, he then and he and he can't move. Then we get the backup again, like it's against Kansas. So that's kind of the the what's up in the air for me in this one is I don't know what UCF team we're going to get based on the quarterback situation. I have no idea because what what UCF is the real UCF? Is it the UCF of the first? I don't know about like four games and change of the season, or is it the UCS over the last five quarters? If it's the UCS, if it's the UCF over the last five quarters, OU's going to roll in this game. They are. If it's the UCF over the first four games of the season, they might be in for, for a bit of a fight. And so, um, like I'll like I'm looking at I'm looking at SP Plus right now, and you know I really like us SP Plus, but Bill Connolly is saying that UCF is OU's second toughest opponent the rest of the season. And I like I'm what I've seen from UCF so far this season doesn't necessarily support that. But in my heart of hearts and in my feelings, I kind of feel the same way about that. I feel it for whatever reason, I feel like this is kind of a landmine this week. I mean, it's just a feeling based on the last time, the last full game that Plumlee played. I that doesn't sound that crazy to me because that UCF team looked really good. Despite, I mean, they. They beat Boise State by a field goal. It was a last-second field goal, and it was a game in which is on the road. And Boise State's not that great. Boise State's, I think, three and four right now. Not not the same Boise State they you know they were years ago, but it was a game in which UCF moved the football the entire time. They just made mistakes in the red zone. They could have scored a lot more than twenty points or whatever. I think they won twenty to eighteen. They should have scored at least thirty-five. It's they kept making mistakes. They couldn't convert. So that team, I thought, like, if that was the game and Plumlee doesn't get injured and it's week three and Oklahoma's got to play UCF in week three after the first two games, it's like, uh, this UCF team looks pretty darn good. Here we go. So your question's valid. What, which team is it going to be? And like, there's no way to know the answer to that because, like you said, the last five quarters have been, what the heck is that? But a larger sample size, the large part of the season, they have not been that bad. So, and now they have their quarterback with a, you know, a couple extra weeks to, weeks to get rested. But I don't know, man. If his leg is that messed up, I'm not sure if uh, you know, an extra 12 days is going to do a whole lot. 
that's like that's kind of where I'm at right now, man. He he just it's hard to overstate how injured he looked against Kansas. And that it's really only going to be 12 days of rest and I'm sure he's been practicing and stuff too. So I I don't know if if, if John if if, if he, I said the fact go that he got yeah, like if, so if Plumley is if Plumley is limited in this game and it's it's his leg, so if he's limited, I mean you're 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 asking him to play left-handed. His Plumley has never been like a spinner of the football. Not not in the sense that he's completely incapable of completing forward passes. He's just not very consistently good at it. That and that's that's what the data says. That's what my eyes say when I've watched him. He's a hell of a runner though. He's a really good runner. Like as a quarterback in college football, maybe the best in college football. But man, he God, he looked so injured. He looked so hurt against Kansas. Well, as we talk about Plumlee's injury, Oklahoma's next opponent, let's finally kind of segue into talking about Oklahoma because we have injury updates for the Sooners, and it's a lot of positive injury updates for Oklahoma. Brent Venables giving his weekly updates, and it sounds like we're going to get Kanai Walker back, or at least available to play, Makari Vickers. The secondary's got to you know, get some reinforcements after that Texas game. Josiah Wagner also available. Good. That's good. I mean, it's Kanai Walker's been sorely missed I think the last couple of weeks obviously Oklahoma or last couple of games I mean OU was able to get by without him but I mean any more you know, extra depth is always a good thing in the secondary especially surprisingly Kanai Walker's been pretty good back there uh, and I think you know Vickers Wait. has had a little bit of run too did we how much do you remember did we spend a lot of time in our in our post Texas podcast talking about Key Lawrence playing corner the last like two drives basically for and um, I remember, like, they, they said it on the broadcast that Key was playing corner, and, like, live, I was just like, ah, crap, that's just... Because, you know, I mean, you're in the heat of battle. It was a very competitive game. Both teams were making plays. Oh, you made more, obviously, but then you're just like, gosh, man, any just little thing. But then I started to remember, I was like, hey, that was, like, going into this season, that was really the only time Key Lawrence has ever looked really good was at corner. Remember that? Yeah. Of course I remember it, and honestly, he didn't play corner that much against Texas. Like They brought it up, and then I think like a couple of plays later, he was back out, or back in, I think, uh, either Gentry or Wood, or Gentry was back in, I think, um, or somebody. So I, I don't think he played that. Like I think they kind of over – I think you know, Herb Street might have noticed it, and I, I'd be shocked if he had more than five snaps out there at corner, unless, unless I missed something. But because uh, I think they, I mean, they would have picked on him more. I think, I think we would have noticed it more. They would have probably gone after him because Sark's smart. He sees stuff like that. A uh, guy that, I mean, he knows, Key, I'm sure he knows Key Lawrence is not a natural corner. At least he hasn't been playing there. Uh, I, I think they would have picked on him a lot more. We probably would have noticed him a lot more out there, but he didn't. Perhaps. Perhaps. I, I, I just thought it was kind of a funny, a funny thing where it's like, because remember, I mean, that was one of the hallmarks of the Riley era. Do you, I mean, do you remember Trajan Bridges? freaking playing safety for a game yeah of course i do we were excited we were like oh man maybe i can get this guy involved and he comes in and immediately gets flagged for like face masking or holding or just what are we it was doing like, it was, it was some ever, sort of personal it, foul it was like it was kind of like violent too it's like oh that definitely was foreshadowing but uh, anyway oh um gosh. i'm yeah i i just thought that was kind of funny just because and like i'll call it I mean, like the trajan bridges thing we were excited that's how you know. That's how you know we are cap- just a freaking rube, man. Just a total rube. Well, we were excited because of 
they needed something because we had seen the players they've had in the second they had had in the secondary. <laughs> it's like these guys are any good. Like maybe they maybe they have other talented players around there that uh, could play better. And no, no, it's it just we do also like I, I suppose too during that. When they did, like, I'm pretty sure it was the Texas Tech game that season in which he came in, like, in the fourth quarter and played. And that was during, I would argue, the best stretch of play for a Lincoln Riley team ever. That the first, like, seven or eight games of 2019, they killed everybody. Offense was great, defense was playing well. The only team they didn't kill was Texas, but they kind of killed Texas. No, it had been like the first like six games because it was up until K-State and then K-State ruined it. I mean, I remember going into the K-State game. We were having discussions on this podcast about national championship contender. And it wasn't it wasn't ridiculous because they looked really good. <laughs> like they, I mean, and they should have beaten Texas by more, but they dominated Texas. But in classic Oklahoma fashion, coming in as the much better team, they only found a way to win the game by a touchdown, even though they beat the crap out of Texas, which is just. That's basically Oklahoma. Anyways, uh, we're not talking about OU from 2019. Uh, I think okay, we should. But, I think uh, we should wh- recriminate the entire 2019 season right now. Remember that bookie rewatch? Let's go. Let's do it. God, Bring I'll it up. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. That was a rewatch of probably what, the 2018 season? Or was it 20? I can't even remember. Boy, that was a fun summer. All right. Well, an- another injury nugget we got that is just kind of like what is going on is Javante Barnes and I Venable said possibly hopeful like so he's just he's injured <laughs> he's just like isn't he just isn't available to play like okay I mean so, comes into the year allegedly fully healthy after getting foot surgery in the offseason and then I guess he's just one of those guys that is perpetually hurt even though he was able to play through an injury apparently last season and didn't miss any time, as far as I remember. And now we don't even hear about any potential injury. But then we find out, kind of, that he's injured, and he's, like, not playing. It's very, very, very weird and bizarre at the same time. Bazeared. It's very bazeared. You're, you're very... <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. I take that as... And I, I didn't actually watch Brent Venables' press conference this week, but... This, this is from the transcript. He said, like, somebody just straight up asked him the question, and Brent said, possibly. Yeah, he's very short. Hopeful. Yeah, he's, he's very short with it. Yeah. Javante Barnes ain't playing again this year. That's just not happening. I, that's, that's a weird, that, it's, it's a weird thing. And very clearly, hot. I, and I, I think, you know, you had said that he just kind of looks like he did last year to your eyes. Uh, he is, to my, he very clearly lost a step or three from last season, which is... You know that is that's that's not too great, but they got Tawi Walker, so whatever. I don't care. You know what? They got Tawi. They, they, they won a national championship with Quentin Griffin running for like three point six yards per carry. So I, I, I would I would much rather be good at passing than running. I'd rather be really good at both of them. But you know what I mean? Yeah, and you know they just had their bye or their open week. Like I said last episode, after the Texas game. Either I said it after the Texas game or before. I don't know. I mean, at some point, Gavin Sawchuk's going to be a thing. He's, he just has to be. He has to, like, he's got to be a thing at some point this year. Clearly, he hit his stride last year in the bowl game. All the off time, I mean, maybe the bye week, they have more time to get him through. They know that Barnes isn't going to be able to play. If it's not Sawchuk, it's got to be one of these freshmen. I just can't, I can't imagine they're going to, it's going to just or, be Marcus Major and Tawi Walker. 
or nobody, or it's just Howie, and you just you just count on him to get three and four yards here or there, to just to to keep to keep and the I'm, defense on. I'm honest. cool with that. Which is whatever, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Through the first through the first half of this season, there is not a single college football team that does not have a really big flaw that I've seen. Not one. There's not a single one. So I like, I mean, everyone like Washington is kind of like the flavor of the week this week. And Washington's good. Like I that game against Oregon was really it was a really good game. Washington's defense sucks. They're going to get anybody who is well prepared and has more than a week to prepare them is going to shred them. Yeah, their defense is yeah, it's not great. I mean, it's it's not USC bad, but it, it's not anything special. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It's just but it's not like we're talking about a college football playoff scenario and we've we've been in those shoes so many times. So oh, yeah. many times. I'll be honest. I thought Oregon's defense would fare a lot better against Washington than Oregon's defense did. But uh, I mean, Washington's been impressive. But anyway, yeah, well, you can say. I mean, we can talk about other teams later in the show. We do our picks. Um, other than that, I mean, I know like McCabe Mattire, ugh, not great. Now, he he's not going to like. I I guess I didn't quite get this from the press conference. Maybe I I checked out when I watched, but. Uh, has it was it previously announced that Matowers is not going to be available, or is it? Are we just assuming he's not going to be available? I guess I didn't. So he's just he, he's out for like a couple weeks. I think is what BV okay, said. So I missed that. That's my bad. He he sprained so, his I mean, ankle. Yeah. He, he, he sprained his ankle against Texas and right, bring yeah, the I mean, card I remember out. He got hurt. I just, okay. They were. It actually was kind of an insightful. They um on Gabe and Teddy's podcast, and I think this was right. This was the day after OU Texas. Um. But Mattia, when he was at Cal, like had had a really, really bad broken ankle, and it was the same, like the same leg in in the in the in the Texas game, and I think they were just kind of speculating that it probably like it happened on the field, and Mattia probably was just like, oh crap, that's exactly how it felt when I broke, you know, like really badly broke my ankle or whatever, and so they were probably just being precautious, but. From everything that I've seen, McCade Mattire is going to be back at some point in time. And it's probably going to be sooner. That, that's the quote. BV has said that Mattire will be back sooner rather than later. Well, that's good. Very good. It's very good. So that means... He's, um, you know, so he's, that- not, like a, he's not a road grader, but Mattire has been a guy who I, I think has just been very consistent. And he always just gives you a really solid, a solid C+. Plus. At all times, which you know what, that makes you that makes you better than probably like I don't know two thirds of college football offensive lines. So there you go. Yeah, Oklahoma's offensive line's been great. It's been been really good, even though it's it gets a lot of slack or uh, because of the way Oklahoma runs the football. But I mean, sure, like the pass blocking's been terrific. Uh, and so that means that, you know, we'll see a mixture of Savion Bird, Troy Everett, Caleb Schaefer, and Caden Green. Uh, they're playing guard. So we'll see how that... Oklahoma has knows. the I, I, best I'm, offensive I'm, I'm line in the Big 12 for, I think, 13th consecutive season, about, or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? So let's see. Going back to the running back stuff, though. I mean, if you want to, you want to win a national championship, you want to score a lot of points. I mean, Jalil Farouk's right there. He's right there, getting three carries against Texas. 
Um, who else is there? Oh, here's a go. Here we go. We haven't uh, we haven't had a chance yet because I know this kind of came out over the open week. Uh, Andrew Anthony, we found out he's out for the year. That was our worst case scenario, and here we are. He's out for the year. So that was kind of like what we were fearing. But now it's it's like all right, well that's not great at all because Andrew Anthony has been he's been Dylan Gabriel's third down security blanket and maybe the best receiver on the team. I don't think he's been the most explosive receiver on the team. I don't you know, honestly. I think maybe the best receiver on the team has been Nick Anderson, but Andrew Anthony has been the most reliable. And as Dylan Gabriel's kind of told us that with how many times he throws the ball to him. So now you take that away. I think it kind of reared its ugly head a little bit in the Texas game late in that game when on third down he threw to Austin Stogner, but he didn't have Andrew Anthony. And it's almost like you don't go to Jalil Farouk, you don't go to Drake Stoops, you got. No, I mean, that was clearly the rapport and the trust he, that DG had with Anthony, and now he's gone. And so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, we'll get the chance to you know, more Nick Anderson snaps, I'm sure. Jaden Gibson will probably get more playing time. I mean, Petaway will probably get some more playing time. Uh, but, man, it's – I mean, teams all the time in college, like really good teams, you know, lose pretty good players and can make it work and go far. But, I mean – it's, I mean, Oklahoma can still do a lot because their depth at that position is really good. We know that. Surprisingly, we didn't expect that to start the season. But, man, you, you lose a guy like of that quality, it's just you, you hope it's going to be fine, but part of me thinks that's, it's going to be an issue. It sucks. It, it does suck. And um, it wouldn't shock me if it turns into a really big issue, but I'm, I'm, I'm holding out, and, and, and I'm going to wait for, uh, you know, for this game against UCF. Good, good get right game because you notice that you know we we spent the first fifteen minutes of the podcast talking about UCF and Plumlee. We didn't talk about their defense at all. Their defense stinks. It's bad. It's not good. Um, so this is the like there, there's going to be plenty of opportunity there. I think to throw the ball all around the field. Um, we'll see. Is this is the perfect kind of situation to to get right? You're at home. You had two weeks off to kind of develop that. Um, I almost still just can't really believe it. How um, I, I I don't remember an example like this in the twenty plus years I've I've been an OU fan where, and I, I said it on this podcast I put I went out on a limb and I said I I'm I'm I said in our preseason podcast that I was fearful that the wide receivers stink as a group, like actually like not maybe the worst group they've ever had like in my fandom at OU, and then it's just totally flipped it's. This is this is the best wide receiver room they've had at least since 2017. At least. It maybe even go f- further than that. Like I there's just something about what I've seen from the wide receivers this year that gives me just a little bit more extra confidence that they will be able to fill that gap. And that's also acknowledging though that Andrew Anthony was a really big part of kind of that resurgence as well. I don't know he he definitely wasn't the flashiest guy that they had had. But look at his numbers. He was he was clearly the number one receiver on the team. He was, and so how how that affects DG, how that affects the offense, I don't know yet. It wouldn't shock me if it's a if, if it's a big effect. But also, if that just means that it's the slack is going to be picked up by Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson, who, I, whenever those guys have been given an opportunity this year, they've been just straight up awesome. As in, at times, look like they're just the best player on the field in general. So, I, is it 
blessing in disguise is not right. That is not the right because Andrew Anthony is a is a really good player. Was one of the best receivers in this conference. Um, Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson might be sp- like special players though, like kind of like jaw dropping well, well, special. I mean, Anderson's certainly shown a lot more. I mean, I mean, Gibson just hasn't got as many opportunities as Nick Anderson has. But the thing is, m- may- maybe it has been more more equal than it seems but the fact that anderson's been able to take advantage of all of his for the most part i mean the dude's got so many touchdowns and very little actual targets Uh, i mean the one big target gibson got against texas deep shot down the field and live it looked like he dropped it but then they showed the replay and, and it was a good defensive play he had his right arm i believe pulled down and he didn't really have a chance to make the play really good play really good play. Uh, so I like, think that was Malik Muhammad, I think, was uh, Texas's guy. Sure. Great play. So, I mean, it, but other than that, he just he hasn't had as many opportunities since the first couple of games of the season. So now with one guy out, that opens up the door, and, you know, we'll see more of it. And, you know, what's going to be is I, I, I apologize, but obviously the guy that step, will step up is going to be LV Bunkley Shelton. It's LV BS time, baby. Here we go. It's about I mean, you're, you're joking about that, but like, it's just like it's perfect fodder. Like this is just like how the timeline. Everyone is talking about who who is it going to be that replaces Anthony, and anyone's the only per- people that anyone is bringing up is is just Anderson and Gibson. That's pretty much it. And then and Brennan Thompson as well a little bit, oh, and then yeah. it's just LV and then it's LV Bunkley Shelton. That would just like. That's a, it's a perfect message board fodder. In fact, actually, that is what's going to happen. LV Bunkley Shelton is almost certainly going to start on Saturday. It kind of made more sense over Brendan Thompson, right? I mean, he got all this talk going into the Texas game. Former Longhorn, he had a you know he he appeared against Iowa State. Like, oh yeah, that guy. I forgot about him. Just uh, freaking. He does nothing. Cooked those yeah. dudes against Iowa State. But then he, he's not, he, you know, he's he's invisible. Doesn't do anything against Texas. I don't even think he played. And uh, yeah, here you go, here he is, you know, against UCF out of nowhere. Now that Andrew Anthony's, you know, maybe, maybe that's the guy. Brennan Thompson right now strikes me as a guy who hurts the defense, gets behind the secondary when there are other dudes that the defense is more worried about. Does that make sense? He seems like yeah. that kind of player right now. So the interesting thing about UCF that I mean you mentioned their defense is not good um, their pass defense statistically though is actually pretty good uh, they've just given up everything on the ground they've been one of the worst rush defenses in all college football so what's it going to say about Oklahoma if they can't run the ball against this UCF team uh, it's like UCF strength so far this year is defending the pass you know is that how much of that is because they're so bad against the run that teams are like well, we don't even need to pass against these guys. We'll just run it down their throat. Or how much of that is that they're actually good against the pass, but uh, they're just terrible against the run, and teams just do that. So that that's kind of an interesting little sidebar. If you know, if if Oklahoma can't run it against UCF, that's one of the worst teams in college football this year against the run. Well, OU probably going to run it against anybody this year, and it'll just be three three and a half yards of carry, and just hopefully keep the chains moving whenever they need to. Yeah, I mean, I like I'm. I guess like I'm not really as worried about that. I don't. I, I think I'm one of the the. OE, I don't really expect like a massive like resurgence of their run game even after Texas. I that's not who they are. The only thing that we can hope for is that they just they they limit the TFLs, just go forward, 
That's that's what they are. Like this is a they are a passing team this year. That is what they are. It's just it is what it is. And um, I was pleasantly surprised with their rushing output against Texas. But I'm not I'm not I'm not expecting them to run for 250 a game in the second half of the year. It's just not going to happen. That's not who they are. Yeah, I mean, you saw the. I mean, you watched the Kansas game. You, you talked about how much of it was it was a one sided affair. I mean, Kansas did everything on the ground. I mean, Jason Bean didn't do anything through the air for the most part. So, uh, yeah, I, we'll see. I mean, obviously, Oklahoma is a much better passing team than a lot of teams in college football <laughs> in general. So, uh, there's. I you mean, see a like this. Yeah, I Oklahoma is like in when they line up and they're they intend to throw the ball. There's. I would say there's only one team right now in college football that is definitively better than them when they do that, and that's Washington. That's it. So I lean into it, man. You're there is not I injuries notwithstanding, there is not anyone on their schedule the rest of the season that can consistently, from what we've seen so far, keep their receivers down. They that's just not OE's receivers guys are really good. They're really, really good. Um like and so I, I'm, just, I'm just not that worried about them not being able to throw it on UCF. Um, and I'm looking at the shows. UCF has played one singular team this year that can complete forward passes, and that's Kansas State. And I, you know, I watched some of that game, and Kansas State still scored 44 points. So one by double digits. Threw for 270 right, so yards. I'll throw it over to you. So we, we talked a lot about Plumlee at the start of the show. We're kind of like, ah, what's he going to be? Is he going to finish the game? Okay, let's say he doesn't. Their backup is Timmy McLean, and he's played a lot the last few games. What is your thoughts on Timmy McLean? Because I'll be honest, I did not watch the Kansas game. I have not seen this guy play. I watched Plumley because I just I thought it would be all Plumley, uh, but there's a chance it's not going to be all Plumley. So uh, McLean, and then you know, as you can talk about him, you know, what your thoughts are. And, and I'll be honest, I think their skill guys, their running backs, they got some good running backs and they got some pretty good receivers too. So they got some good skill players as well that we can discuss briefly. Yeah, that's where, uh, that's, that's what worries me. And so coming to this, I, I mean, I'm, I think Timmy McLean's pretty good. Um, and okay. Like I think he's pretty talented. He's got a lot of ability. Um, there's clearly some glitches when you watch him. I mean, there's, he makes a lot of mistakes, but man, that guy—he's—he's he's exceptionally athletic. He is just—he moves so well. Um, if there is—if—if—if if, if he plays a lot uh, for for UCF on Saturday, he will be the most athletic quarterback that OU plays the entire season. It's not even close. Not even close. And um, I don't know. We'll see. Keep him in the pocket. Keep him in the pocket. You'll be fine. But. The thing is, though, that's that's his game: getting outside of the pocket and buying time and all of that. That's what makes him a decent player. Those are his. That, that's a skill set. So, and, and I'm sure OU is they're preparing for that. It would be it would be ridiculous if they weren't preparing a little bit for Timmy McLean. Um, but I the thing that gives me pause is this is one of the reasons why there's a lot of red flags, there's a lot of sirens kind of flashing for this game for me. And I, outside of Texas. I think UCF skill guys have the most ability out of anyone else on OU schedule. They're fast. They're so, especially at running back. Johnny Richardson goes, man. That guy's, if, if, if he gets into the secondary, he's gone. He's gone. 
Can't do anything about it. Well, both of the running back. I mean, him and R.J. Harvey, both of those guys. Like when I watch teams like UCF, and I, and it's not just UCF. You watch a lot of teams around college football, and you just see how effortless and smooth some of these guys are and good at running back. I think how is Oklahoma so so underwhelming at running back? It doesn't make any sense. Like we thought we had their guy with Gavin Sajak when we saw him in the bowl game, and that guy has not been anywhere this year. And I see R.J. Harvey and Johnny Richardson gets carried get carries for UCF. I'm like, both of these guys are really good. <laughs> and granted, UCF can recruit all of Florida, and obviously Florida's got a ton of talented players. And it's not a you know it's, this is not new for UCF to have really good athletic skill players. It's not new at all. Uh, it's just kind of like man, it, that guy would look good in an Oklahoma uniform and be an upgrade probably. <laughs> no offense you- to the guys I know you. I want I want to throw something out there just just a little food for thought here for you. Remember Bentavious Thompson? He's not on the roster anymore. He was last year, though. <laughs> of course, a transfer I from UCF, kind of like a walk-on transfer. I watched his highlights at UCF, and he looked freaking great. Ah, uh, really? I don't think he couldn't even get on. Great. Couldn't even get on the field at OU. He was like a plotter. He was fine. I don't think he was anything great. Hell of a lot better than he, anything that and at UCF. Hell of a lot better than Marcus Major has ever looked, ever. Yeah, Mark, you know, he's going he's gonna to keep doing his thing. Yeah, as long as they keep throwing him swing passes on the edge and let him run, just don't give him balls between the tackles, I'm cool. No, I mean, and that was like, that's, that's unfair. I mean, it's, it's, turned, it's, it's a bit, obviously, us just making fun of Marcus Major. He's going to, we're going to feel so stupid when he runs for 250 and five touchdowns in the national championship game. Um, <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about UCF skill guys. They, they just... Outside of Texas and Oklahoma, they have the best skill guys in the conference. From that, that's what my eyes say. So um, that you gotta keep your head on a swivel. I mean, it's you gotta you gotta prepare, you know, f- for that. But I just like it's so weird. I, I don't when I watch them play and I watch their personnel on offense and just like how athletic they are. I I don't really understand how they're three and three. I, I really I, don't, yeah, I, don't I, I honestly don't get it, which is why I'm kind of scared about this game. Yeah, it seems like they're a really good team. And, I mean, they had that crazy loss against Baylor. And like you said, uh, whatever happened against Kansas. Grant, I mean, that was a good spot for Kansas coming off that loss to Texas. They got kind of beat down. They're coming home. And it's a good spot for KU. Uh, But, yeah, uh, Javon Baker, a wide receiver, uh, and Kobe Hudson, they're two top receivers. But, I mean, they have more guys than that. And they all all look really good. Granted, I think it was Baker. Let me look back at my notes. Um I think it was Baker. Uh, yeah, I think it was Baker who, against Boise State, I mean, dropped a touchdown pass. It ended up being a, an interception. I mean, it's one play, but it's like yeah, maybe maybe some of these guys do have uh, the tendency to make mistakes that can lead to big plays for the other team. Maybe that's why they're they're three and three. Maybe they they're good, but they're they're every once in a while they're inconsistent and who knows. By the way, uh, against Boise State, they ran a lot of wildcat at kind of bizarre times where they didn't really need to run wildcat. I thought. Uh, I don't know how much they're going to do that anymore, especially if Plumley is. I mean, I guess if Plumley's banged up and he plays a lot, they could do that more in short yardage. But that didn't seem to work very well for UCF. Just one thing I noticed that probably doesn't matter that much until until UCF runs Wildcat and burns Oklahoma for a touchdown. And so this is a uh, this is a very interesting spot for UCF. Um, we mentioned essentially it's been the last five quarters where things have just totally fallen apart for them. 
And so their season is very obviously on a fulcrum here. I mean, it's on a it's 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 going to go one way or the other. And I, I I'm they've probably rightfully identified this game as their get right game. They have to. I mean, this is gonna this is gonna set the tone for the season. It's coming off of a bye week. And Lee, I'm looking at their schedule here after Oklahoma. It's very manageable. It's a very manageable schedule after Oklahoma. Extremely. I think Gus Malzahn knows that. He knows that they really need to play well in this game. That doesn't necessarily mean that Oklahoma is going to lose, but they absolutely need to they need to be prepared for UCF to play by far their best game of the season. Um, because they have to. They have to, or their their first season, which and Venable said this in his press conference. They got a lot of senior starters on this team. A lot of seniors. A lot of guys who played a lot of football. They're three and three right now. And I like I, I, I get, you know, Kansas State, Baylor, Kansas are the teams that they've lost to so far. And I just like when I've watched UCF this year, they look like they belong in the Big Twelve. They really do. They do not look out of place there. They don't really I mean, I guess outside of the Kansas game, they don't look overmatched. And so, I mean, this is it. This is this is the rest of their season. I mean, they can they can sort of kind of write their own story here. And I'm sure that's gonna be the message in their locker room leading up to this game. So um this is this is not a game that, that OU can just sort of take for granted and just sort of show up and win, which, you know, the last staff, the previous guys, I am certain that that is what their mindset would be coming into this game. So I am hoping that 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 they come in, they use the bye week and their focus. They understand that UCF is a desperate team full of experienced athletic football players. More athletes than, frankly, I. the level of athlete they're not going to see until they play TCU in the last game of the season, the rest of the year. No, very, very good points. And that's, that's kind of how we can maybe, you know, finish up our discussion you know of the game before we get into the you know more big 12 and national talk is that's where we go with this okay this is a great spot for UCF a great spot they give up a huge lead and lose in the fourth quarter to Baylor just devastating the next week clearly a hangover like what just happened last week they're on the road against a Kansas team who was coming off a blowout loss to Texas trying to get right against UCF And then they just beat the crap out of UCF with UCF's quarterback returning, but clearly not healthy, and then leaving in the first quarter. So UCF has a hangover after that crazy loss to Baylor, gets thumped by Kansas. Then they get an off week. Knowing that Oklahoma's a couple weeks away, they've lost three in a row. And to your point, at three and three, it's the midpoint of the schedule. It can go one way or a different way. And they could start it off with a great effort and a win over Oklahoma and lead into a very manageable final five games where UCF can, in a, I mean, could potentially win what? I guess there's, what, six games? I mean, they could win eight or nine games this year if everything goes right for them. And Gus Malzahn's a good coach. He is. He's a good coach, especially uh, smart. Uh, I believe Brady mentioned Brady earlier. I think Brady made a point either on his podcast or one of his columns or maybe just to me in private. I can't remember (laughs) that this is a kitchen sink game where Malzahn's going to, He's already super creative offensively. And I think Brent Venables knows that. And he was asked about that in his press conference. And he said, yeah, we, we, we work a bunch of stuff. So I think Venables will be aware of goofy stuff that they try to throw at him. But this is a great spot for UCF. And if not for a bye week for Oklahoma, I'd say this is a terrible spot for OU. The fact that Oklahoma at least got the bye as well, 
that helps a little bit. And this is like where this discussion comes in, right, is we're going to learn a lot about this Oklahoma team in this game coming off the biggest win they've had. Uh, obviously, Brent Venables' is biggest win. This is only his second year. Biggest win Oklahoma's had in a long time because of everything that happened last year, previous year. They get a week off. Now you're coming home as a almost three-touchdown favorite with a schedule the rest of the way where everyone's now going to be expecting you to win games. And you have it all in front of you. Can you be disciplined enough to take a team like UCF seriously, a team that should be taken seriously given its skill position players and its talent and potentially a good quarterback if he's healthy? Will they do the work? Will they be disciplined and do all the boring things enough, like Brent Venables always says, to come out and be prepared and play well at 11 a.m. kick at home and not be sleepy? We're going to learn a lot about this team. It's big time. I mean, this is what... This is a perfect stage right here. Prove that you have turned the page from the last regime. Prove it. Like, what a... I, there, there's just so many times where it's like I'm, I'm following other teams and it's like I'm scoreboard watching and I'm like, oh, yeah. Georgia this week, yeah, they're playing like four and two, I don't know, throw random SEC team in there that's having like a nice Mississippi season. State. Mississippi State. And they're playing well and they got good offensive numbers. It's like, oh, maybe they'll give them, maybe they'll give them kind of a test there. And then and then Georgia wins by forty. They just just say yeah no it's not happening you're you're gonna get your butt kicked. If OU shows up on Saturday and they drag UCF up and down the field, things might be different around here, guys. And uh, and and I'm more like I don't want to put too much in the UCF because I think the really big one, I think, like by orders of magnitude, their most difficult game the rest of the season is in Lawrence in two weeks. Like that's just in my mind that's just not even a question. It's so very obviously the case. Um, man, these next two weeks are big. That, that Guys, they're going to run the table if they get through the next two weeks. They are. And um, But I... Uh, easy, easy, buddy. No, I'm not. I'm telling you. That's like... That KU game is the big one. Like, that's the... Everything going... KU hasn't beaten OU in 25 years. It's like however many consecutive years that OU has beaten Kansas. Kansas is actually kind of good now. It's in Lawrence. The last time OU was in Lawrence, they had to they needed Caleb Williams heroics just to escape. It's it, it's it's kind of the same principle as last year. It's like once once kind of last season sort of went sideways, they were always going to lose in Morgantown. Always. They like eventually they were going to lose to West Virginia. This is so unlike you. This I mean, what do you Who are you? I how Mr. You know, rivalries matter. It's just different. Like, they got at Oklahoma State in Bedlam, the last Bedlam for, you have no idea how long, and Oklahoma State's hitting its stride. Granted, why are we even looking ahead? Because they got to beat UCF first, which we know that. But not even Oklahoma State. West Virginia's got a nice defense. It's home. And then at BYU late in the year, BYU is a, like two touchdowns better at home randomly than they are on the road. It's like they're a totally different team at home than they are on the road. Oh, I man. think West Virginia this and BYU is... are their two easiest games left, actually. But <laughs> maybe that's just me. Who who are yeah, I just uh I like there's just I, sure I, I'll say are. it. I'm 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 slightly scared of UCF. I'm terrified of Kansas. Not even really concerned at all about those four games in November. Wow. Look at this. Look at this guy. You get one one surprising win over Texas that was unexpected in the last second. And now Oklahoma's uh, just walking over. Oklahoma's Georgia. 
No, I don't think they're Georgia. I just think they got, there's something, there's something with this team. There's a little bit of juice. There's something about them that's, that's kind of special. And like, that's just sort of, that's sort of how it feels right now. We are going to learn so much on Saturday. So much. Because remember, I mean, remember the talk going into the Texas game? We were all pretty confident that OU was a really good team and that they had showed that this season. But our eyes told us like, oh gosh, yeah, Texas kind of looks like one of those teams that OU has really struggled to beat over the last crap 15 years. Like that's what Texas looked like. OU went in there and they took the fight to him and they beat him. We saw something out of an OU team we haven't seen in a really long time. And that was just they like... Beat him. They beat him, and and that was so nice they, to see. And they, so, and like I'm, I'm not, and sure, like I, sure it's possible that Texas just like goes nine and three, goes eight and four again, and they're just Texas. But I, I'm sorry, man, that was that was the best Texas team in 15 years, at least since the since they lost in the national championship. That's by far their best team since 2009. And um, yes, Oklahoma, yes, is a very good Texas team. Oklahoma did beat them, but Oklahoma also could have very easily lost to them. <laughs> it took took a kind of miracle, and they did it. Oklahoma did, and it. they didn't. Don't get me wrong. They didn't, and and like I just. But the thing is, how it, they it just, wasn't a decisive running away from you victory. It was a game. It, it was, was not it was a coin flip game. It it was a coin flip. It, it was a coin flip game. It was a game in which OU made more plays than Texas did. But just the way in which that offense just took the ball and drove down the field like it was nothing with poise, with confidence. Gosh, I haven't seen I just haven't seen that in a long time. <laughs> it was yeah, awesome. And and you know what? You hope that that focus is there for Dylan Gabriel and also Jeff Lebby and you kind of just hope that those two guys are on a whole different level together right now. Cuz credit to Jeff Lebby, man. The the dudes the dudes been calling some great some great games as much as we criticized them a lot last season. I, I was very skeptical of his offense, you know, changing and adjusting, and it has. It it's not. I mean, it's still fast, but it's not as fast. It's they're definitely more mindful. But also, you know what else? The defense is much better, which helps. Which is the thing that last year I was always like, well, the defense is pretty bad, but they didn't adjust to it though. Like they didn't help the defense last year. This year, it's the defense is a lot better, and the offense is it's complementary. Dare I say? I'm just I'm just kind of blown away. And like hey, I'm I'm just I'm a massive OU partisan. Like I still like I even when I know intellectually it's not super realistic, I I always have dreams of winning a Natty. That's what I want. That's the expectation. That's like you know, it's you know, birth by fire, man. Like I I came into this fandom winning a freaking national championship. I want one. I want another one. And that's what I think about every single, you know, every single off season, whether or not it's realistic every single or day. Not. <laughs> Every day, man. And I like I, I was thinking this offseason. I was like, hey, what needs to go right? What needs to go right? And it don't have to be realistic, but just like what are all the things that need to happen for this OU team to like be a legitimate national title contender? The only one of them that has not happened so far is just their running game is not super explosive and great like I expected. Everything else has pretty much happened so far like i but i i also i I even think when i was like having this thought exercise i i'd never expected the receiver room to be as good and as deep as they are i i just i i did not expect that 
whatsoever. Um, the offensive line are just they're they're just they're an elite pass protecting offensive line, and that is just that is that is so valuable. You have no idea. It, it's just it's I'll take that. 100 out of 100 times against a Wisconsin offensive line that can just that can run block really well. Give me the guys who can protect your quarterback all day. And they're so good at it. it it's just very I'm so happy with that. Not even mentioning the defense of just like gosh, yeah, if OU wants to be national title, I was like, yeah, Danny Sussman's going to have to be like going to have to turn into like an all-American like linebacker. And I thought that was kind of like smoking crack. Well, well, well. <laughs> well, well, well. Well, that was one of our prompts in the preseason was, you know, which guy could you know, needs to be an All-American type player for Oklahoma to win it's a bunch of games. It's not even that. I mean, it's like through – I mean, Woody Washington has been the exact s- steady senior, like, fifth-year guy that we hoped that he would be. He's been, he's been really good. He's been great, playing the best football of his career. We knew we needed a corner to, to emerge on the other side. Drinker Williams maybe has been the best corner in the, big, in the freaking Big 12 this year. I, I did not see that coming. Um, I think Billy Bowman has had kind of some weird glitches this year, but outside of the weird glitches, he's been Billy Bowman. He's been really good. Um, they've had other guys. Desan McCullough has been really good. He hasn't, he's been, he got what? He got, he got exposed a little bit on those wheel routes against Cincinnati. Texas didn't expose him. I know they probably went into that game one and two. They didn't. They weren't able to. Why? I'm not sure, but they weren't. They weren't able to. Jaron Kanick has been great. Kip Lewis, his backup, has been great. There's, I mean, it's, the, the defensive line doesn't have like a bona fide star, but every single one of them has been an above average to like very good college football player. I, I don't, I'm blown away. I'm blown away with how it's gone so far. Like it's, uh, and the defensive and, line, the, the, like I say, the, what's the right word here? The, Defensive lines. I can't even think of the right word. Like they're they're playing better. <laughs> they're playing better the last like they're they're finally starting to get to, to the quarterback. And so the depth along that defensive line, they're all like kind of above average players. You're right. And like I think like Bothroyd has the ability to be a great guy, but it's like it didn't really had to be or didn't, didn't need to be. Like everybody else, they're just doing everyone's just doing their jobs. And it's been good to see. And like the that's not even mentioned. Not even mentioned. Like there's, there's some wild cards here. Like we've, you know, we talked about going into the Texas game. How like how much you know PJ Adaboroway's snaps have just gone up and up and up every single game. He played a lot against Texas. What if PJ Adaboroway just kind of puts something together in the second half and he kind of turns into a monster? I don't think that's super crazy to think that he does. We haven't really seen R. Mason Thomas at all this year. He's been hurt. He just hadn't been healthy. He played a little bit against Texas, played a little bit against Iowa State. I think we liked his burst whenever we saw him last year, but there was just something that he was missing, probably just because he was a true freshman, you know, forced into action early. What if he's healthy in the second half? What if he adds another dimension to that, another gear? Like, I mean, it's... OU has way more answers for things than I, than I realistically could have imagined coming into this season. And, uh, and like, now that I'm saying all of this, I'm just like, oh gosh, this is when we need to be the most scared of UCF now, now that we're saying this, this is not a victory lap. It's not a victory lap. It's a, it's a recognition of just how insanely different it is from last season and not even just last season, but from 
the four or five years previous to that as well. It's it's a yeah. it's a night and day difference. It's 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 awesome. They're they're just way more fun to watch. Britt Venables and Miguel Chavis and Todd Bates and Ted Roof and I mean they've gotten they've gotten something out of Marcus Stripling, and it's not just like randomly Mark like in addition to all the other guys that we know are like have been good like they're getting the most out of all of these players, and Stripling is not just a guy he's not he's not a jag he's actually contributing like he's actually he's doing his job and doing it well played a lot against Texas played a lot against Texas did his job. Didn't get it's whipped up and down the field like he has in his career. Just did his job and did it well. Like, it's... That's so cool. It's, 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 it's cool. And so I hope they, they continue to build on that. Uh, you know, they're, they're banged up in some certain spots, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, I think they're going to work through that. But, uh, man, I hope, I hope the defense just continues to get better. Because... Uh, and you know what? They're going to be tested. I, I, I genuinely believe these next two weeks, these are the two best offenses you'll be facing the rest of the season. And after that, you are not going to face another offense that can stress you like these two can these next two weeks. As we record this, late Wednesday night, Oklahoma is a 19-point favorite over UCF. I know Oklahoma is 6-0 and against the spread, which is terrific. Oklahoma's been against, you know... I guess against expectation, they've been like the best team in all of college football. That they they've been awesome this year. Uh, that being said, you better believe I'd take the nineteen. This is a great spot for UCF, and the only reason why I would be like, eh, is if Plumlee looks like he just did last or two weeks ago, and then Oklahoma's defense keeps the back of quarterback in the pocket, like you said, and it turns into Kansas like it did against Kansas, and it's the UCF team that they are right now is the team they've been the last five quarters. But right now, you better believe I would grab those 19. Because, this, this again, this is a smash spot for UCF. It is. I, I think that's it's, it's a really good spot for UCF. I wouldn't bet this game, but if I was forced to, I'd, I'd probably be on UCF. But, but also, that's, there's an emotion going in there, too. It's, it, that'd be an emotional hedge. Like, I... This is... I, I'm in a weird... I, me as a fan right now, I'm, I'm in a weird spot. I... Gosh, man, I want them to be. I want them to be on top. I really want them to be, and they are. They're they're early. They're early, but it's here, and I'm like I, I would I would much prefer to embrace it. So go out and beat the crap out of UCF, so we can all get excited. Yeah, do it. Absolutely, do it. One final thing before moving to the Big Twelve, I listened to Brent Venables' presser. And Grant, Brent Venables, when he was talking about the offensive line, he brought up the offensive line coach whose name is Bill Biedenboe. So let's stop with the charade. We're pronouncing his name different now. Britt Venables didn't pronounce his name different. I don't think the head coach would mispronounce his offensive coordinators slash whatever name. So let's put this to bed. This, I, this nonsense. Bill, Bill Biedenboe is, is a much better name than Biedenbaugh. I am, I, I, I'm, I'm just telling you this thing happened in the summer. It it just did. So I So Brent Venables Bean Ba is, is better. It rolls off the tongue better than Beaten Bow. I you know, I whatever. I, I don't really care. Just go win just, games. I, I I've been doing research on this. No no one's ever called him the other thing. 
And even Brent Venable said it. And I tried to find... Uh, anyways. You know what to say in these situations in the show? Who cares? All right. On to the Big 12. You clearly care. You clearly do. Well, I worked in TV get for over a decade. Get mad about it, man. Get mad about it. You got to get the I'm names right. It's very important to me. Heck, Dean uh, got Dennis Schroeder to pronounce his name finally. And it, turn, it turns out it was like Skluda. But also he was okay with you calling him Schroeder. So it was like multiple. Anyways, that was a whole thing. Big 12 play this week. Baylor at Cincinnati. Cincinnati, a three-point home favorite. I think both these teams are kind of bad. Uh, Cincinnati, I, I mentioned, I, they're just, it's, it's pretty, I mean, whatever. I'm glad Oklahoma beat Cincinnati. They covered. But, man, we knew that day in Cincinnati when we were there that, oh, you should have won that game by at least three scores. Uh, not a very good football team. I think Baylor might be catastrophically bad. I think Cincinnati is just boring bad. Yeah. Other like, games, not like, OSU. I, no. Yeah, I, was, I, I don't like. I, I I don't think Cincinnati is dreadful. I think Cincinnati is like a very average team that does not have any juice on the offensive side of the ball. Cincinnati two and four right now. They have lost four games in a row. Next up, OSU at West Virginia. West Virginia, as we record, is at three and a half, minus three and a half. I will let you know. I when this came out and I saw this, West Virginia minus three. I was all over West Virginia minus the three points. That's a great spot for the Mountaineers. Uh, so three and a half. Obviously not as uh, not as thrilled about it, but uh, good good spot for West Virginia. I think coming off that crazy loss to Houston, extra day to prepare. They're at home. Oklahoma State's kind of riding high, but they're going on the road. Good spot for the Mountaineers. I think here with a good defense. Yeah, your thoughts? that's. Uh, I I think this is a West Virginia dub here. I just uh, I just a lot would have to happen for me to ever give Alan Bowman any sort of daps or credit. I just I, I think that guy is. That guy's one of the least talented players I've seen, like actually start games at the, and and have like some semblance of success. Like good for him, but man, that guy does not have a lot of ability. He's so much better than, well, you know who I'm going to say, but I won't say him because why? Why rub it in? You know who why are you going to say? Come on, man, DB. Come on. Oh, Bevel. Oh, well, yeah, we don't. <laughs> We don't really talk about though. That's just kind of like known. We just I don't know. Uh, Texas is at Houston. I mean, Texas obviously coming off a bye as well. I have no thoughts on that. Twenty three and a half. Texas twenty three. That's a weird number. Uh, it's probably a little a lot, too much I mean, for Texas, who is frankly just even when they've thoroughly manhandled teams, they've struggled to blow them out with authority this year. Yeah. And uh, let's see, after Texas, or after Houston, rather, they got BYU. So, I mean, yeah, they, Texas's slate I mean, coming up is not, uh, not great. Huge, that's, I mean, it's a huge game for Texas as well, just to kind of see what their second half is going to be like as well. So, I'm um, definitely interested. And Houston coming off that crazy win. Uh, they have extra time and extra day to prepare as well. So, who knows? Maybe a good spot for Houston. I do, yeah, think, Houston uh, is, do think Houston is pretty bad, though. Pretty bad. Hey man, Houston though still gonna go for I think what was uh what was their season win total? I thought they should be over. Was it four and a half or three and a half? I think it was, f- was it I think it was four and a half. Four and a half was the lowest. So, 
Didn't Houston and Cincinnati both have four and a half as their total? Pretty yeah. So I mean, I mean Houston, Houston needs two more wins, baby. Two more to get over. Let's see. Uh, they're at Baylor. That's a that's a possible win. Home against Oklahoma State at some point. They could beat Oklahoma State. They, hey, they could beat Cincinnati. Houston might get, still get their over. It might might hit as bad as they've been. Uh, this next line's pretty interesting. Texas Tech. It's it's right in the Vegas zone. Texas Tech's on the road. Minus four and a half at BYU. BYU just got run by TCU. I you, I grabbed the points with BYU. It, like I said earlier, BYU is like a two-touchdown better team at home. Coming off an embarrassing loss at TCU going home. It's a Texas Tech team that's sketchy, especially on the road. I like BYU plus the points here. My perception of BYU from what I've watched this year is that they're bad and lucky. BYU sucks. They're, they're not really. Oh, their offense is awful. Their offense is so bad. But it's, they can do stuff at home. I, I, don't, I don't get it. And so, hey, yeah, like I, I also think there's something funky going on with Texas Tech this year too. So I think you got, I, I, I do lean BYU here because I think one, like there's one team that's kind of played poorly and has had bad luck, and that's Texas Tech. And there's a team that's played poorly and has had good luck. That's BYU. Typically over the course of a season, that's just how it's going to be. And so I, I would favor BYU just to win. I'd, I'd take them straight up to win probably. No, I'd feel better about BYU, though. I mean, I feel pretty good about them, but Tech just kind of got blown out by K-State, so they're kind of, I mean, they're in desperation mode. But they've, they've been in desperation mode almost for the last three or four weeks, it seems like. And, I mean, they had played pretty well the last two games, and then they laid an egg against Kansas State. So, weird Texas Tech team. And then the, K-State's laying six and a half at home against TCU. I, I don't know what really either one of these teams are. Both of these teams are super Jekyll and Hyde to me. These two, these purple teams. I don't know what to think about them yet. Uh, I mean, that seems like a lot of points at, at home against a, two teams that might be pretty even. But also, it's like I don't, I don't know. Uh, that, this line almost is telling you to take K State. You got K State. Uh, a lot of their fans are excited about uh, Avery Johnson, their true freshman quarterback, who has. Yeah, it's weird. He's got like really long hair, and he's a ginger, and I guess he's really fast. He's like a four-four guy. And uh, like a huge nerd out there playing football, but he, he was does. just like just killing people. And so I like whenever I see that, I see true freshman guy who runs really well and does that. I bet he cannot complete forward passes. And if he can and like I and, and I, th- I think I'm justified in, in saying that like I will Howard was forced to play as a true freshman at Kansas State and he was absolutely horrifically terrible. And he was so, so I bad. he was just awful at first. So year, terrible. And uh, I guess I guess we'll see. I mean, we're going to learn a lot about K State in this game. This this is one that I that game is going to be a knockout drag out. I think because I I think TCU is is probably pretty a pretty decent team. All right, uh, let's go to the pick segment. And unfortunately, we missed last week, obviously because of the bias. We didn't pick games last week, so the our previous picks are from two weeks ago. And boy, oh boy, two weeks ago, I, I did pretty well. I was 4-0-1. You were 2-2-1. Two, two There's a couple so, of games uh, that you had year. that were very close that just kind of went your way. The Alabama. You maybe, took Alabama. I took Texas A&M. Oh. Well, well, and what yeah, was the I other mean, one? There was another one that was really close that 
Oh, no, it wasn't. I took Kentucky. You took Georgia, and Georgia won by 9,000. Yeah, you remember my reasoning for it because I was in the other I was in the other spot a couple of years ago where I was banking on Kentucky to cover and Georgia was or no I I was on Georgia and Mark Stoops that son of a came back and like only was trying to cover and he did so I was like you know what I'm not going to fall for this again I'm going to I'm going to back Georgia once more and Georgia just smoked them and then Georgia followed it up the next week just they looked like Georgia of the previous five weeks. They kind of they yeah. screwed around with Vanderbilt, um, and and they lost their best player for the rest of the regular season. That's that's I mean that's huge for Georgia. You go look at Georgia's schedule; it's not quite as easy as it seemed in the preseason in November. So I'm kind of intrigued by that. They must be off this week. I don't see them anywhere. I think they are off, and then they play Missouri. They play Tennessee. They play Ole Miss. Huh, that is pretty interesting. Huh. Um. Okay. Anyway, so let's. I, I guess we'll start since this game. We usually go in chronological order of kickoff times. This is the biggest game of the week. Uh, Penn State at, at Ohio State. Uh, top. You 10 do matchup. your pick on the, on this first. I'm going to step away for sixty seconds. All right. So number seven, Penn State at number three, Ohio State. As we uh, were putting this in the rundown, Ohio State was laying four. So uh, you know almost kind of close to like yeah, the odds makers are like yeah we're not really sure we know ohio state's the favorite but we'll kind of let you guys go you know i i have a weird thing against penn state it, it goes back to when this podcast first began uh, if anyone's listened to this show ever since this podcast debuted in you know august of 2017 i've kind of had it out for penn state it mainly was that penn state 2017 team they were really good but i watched every one of their games that year, and I thought their offense was super overrated with Trace McSorley. Obviously, Saquon Barkley is awesome. He was great, uh, but outside of him, I thought they were kind of like meh, and anyway, I think I was proven to be correct because they they ended up, you know, they, they couldn't win games that they were supposed to win. Fast forward now, they have this guy, Drew Aller, and I know Penn State fans are pumped. He's a five-star. I've seen him play a little bit. The big thing with Penn State's offense so they have this big five-star quarterback that everyone loves their offense is not very good it's it's very very boring it's very generic Uh, they've won all their games based on defense and their defense is like the best in the country statistically in a lot of metrics look at their schedule they haven't played anybody they haven't played anybody that can complete forward passes uh and so you go i guess ohio state which like ohio state's good i i thought ohio state it was in a bad spot last week as far as covering the number they rolled last week wasn't even close Figured it was a, a look-ahead spot to Penn State. No, it wasn't at all. They didn't so really roll. Ohio's, I mean, they were they were down at halftime, and then Ohio State. Yeah, against Maryland, right? No, that was two weeks ago. Oh, they, they still. <laughs> what was last week? Uh, they Purdue. They just spanked Purdue. Oh, that's right. Yep. Sorry. Nope. I'm still thinking of OU Texas week. So, yeah, yeah. Good call. Yeah, and that Maryland game in, on the podcast, we both we 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 were split, but we pushed because it was a push. Tech, or a, yeah, Ohio State won by twenty, so they, it was a look ahead spot. They just rolled over Purdue last week. Ohio State, I I can't in good conscience take Penn State because I don't think their offense is any good, and I think Ohio State's going to be obviously by far the best offense Penn State's faced, and it's Ohio State at home. Laying less than a touchdown against this Penn State team, 
this actually might be a smash spot for Ohio State. And now that I talk more about it, I might think, okay, this is actually a, this could be kind of a no-brainer. So I'm going to go with the Buckeyes, minus four. This is, if you can get an alternative line of Ohio State, like minus nine and a half, maybe even nine, like 13 and a half, take it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I kind of share your handicap there too. I, I kind of liked whenever I watched a little bit of Drew Aller last year, and he, he didn't start like because they still had Clifford last year. But I thought Aller looked pretty good whenever they threw him in there he, last year. He's a nice year. player. He's a nice player. Don't yeah, for sure. So I saw an interesting thing this week, and it, it was his. It was like his passing chart, you know. And they he just he's only thrown like one pass this season, past twenty yards downfield. Only one. And so is that a design thing? Is that intentional from the coaching staff? Or is that a not sure what we're doing type thing? That, that's, I don't know if you saw it. That's, it was a whole thing with a, a Penn State beat writer and James Franklin. And the beat writer basically asked him about throwing the ball deep. And I, did you, are you aware of this at all? Did you see this at all? I didn't. I did not see this. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not gonna do a very good job of explaining because I just kind of watched Sutton passing, uh, and I'll, I'll do my best. It basically, to your point, they're not throwing the ball down the field. They're not stretching the field, and it's the stats bear it out. And everybody that has their eye has eyes has seen it. I'm not an expert on Penn State, but uh, that I mean, people that follow Penn State, that's what they've seen. This beat writer has been doing it for a while. That's what he's seen, and so he basically asked James Franklin a question along the lines of like. Is there any times where you just you trust Aller just to throw it up there to a guy to have him go get it, make a play, you know, whether or not he's necessarily open or not, which is a total thing that college football and just NFL, like that's a thing that happens. Quarterbacks just throw the ball up for receivers, let him make a play. It's a thing that happens. And James Franklin acted like the guy had never, like he was a total jerk to him. He acted like the question was ridiculous, like he didn't understand what the question was. And like, he, He's just like, I feel like he's never heard of that before. Totally disingenuous. I've never liked James Franklin. I think he's kind of a jerk. Really? Like, like he's never so, heard of that before? That was, your entire op- that was your entire offensive game plan in 2016 and 2017. Throw it up to Chris, Chris Godwin. Godwin. Exactly. That was literally yeah. it. I'm Trace McSorley. I'm 5'7", and I can kind of throw it downfield a little bit. I can't see over the offensive line. Oh, Chris Godwin's on my team. I'm just going to throw a jump ball to him. That was their offense in 2016. And that the same the guy that asked the question did a whole column afterwards. And he, I mean, he's got to cover the team. He, he has so like I understand why he could be. He's more like apologetic. He kind of like apologize, which he shouldn't have. It's but he wrote a whole column pointing that well you just pointed out grant because the guys covered the team for a long time like this was your offense with chris godwin like you've done this before don't so total jerk move by james franklin the guy the guy just is i've i've never liked the guy uh i i think yeah, he's, an overrated I like coach. he's done he's done a nice job he's, 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 done, a, he's nice obviously done a nice job i was actually just but thinking about think james franklin the other day because i was thinking about like our takes of him because I, I don't like him and i'm but like he's he's clearly been a good coach for penn state i mean there's I think he's I mean, won. He's they've won ten games in a majority of his seasons that he's been there. Like there's, but yeah, there's. I just, I just don't like the guy. I just, he just, he just comes off as disingenuous and kind of. There's just a certain part of it that he just doesn't get. But yeah, if you ever, maybe after this is over with, go check that out. And I mean, it was just 
the the guy the, the guy tweeted like oh maybe my question wasn't worded right and like I watched it it's it's a total totally normal question that you would hear I've I've been in many of uh, many uh, college football press conferences with head coaches with Lincoln Riley ton of them <laughs> and all a lot of Brent Venables last year and some of Bob Stoops back in twenty like I've and a lot of Kevin Sumlin I. I it was totally not a weird question. And anybody that knows football understands what the guy was asking. And James Franklin acted like he had, he had no idea what the guy was talking about. It was BS. And so it's kind of interesting. You got, that, I, I, yeah. you got kind of, you got soft James Franklin going up against, and, and I'm sorry, and like Ohio State's very good. They're very good. They've recruited really well. They play good defense. Uh, but Ryan Day is soft. Ryan so, Day yeah, as an individual soft, is soft. soft day. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that, that so you got thing you got soft v soft the, in this yeah. game. So you know, I'll, I'll I'll take the the traditionally better soft team at home. That's that's what I'll go with. This actually <laughs> might be an Ohio State by a million thing. That this like this might be like an Ohio State wins like thirty one to six type game or something like that. So Ohio State's defense Sounds has like been a very really big good ten this score. Year. All right, that was fun. All right, uh, okay, I, I got these rankings wrong, but it uh, doesn't matter. Tennessee's at Alabama. Uh, Alabama is laying nine at home. Uh, this is a weird number. I, uh, I can't back Alabama's, Alabama here. I can't. I, I have been on the wrong side of Bama this year with the exception of one game, and that was Ole Miss. And that was a game where Alabama had a lot of good value because they were being undervalued going into that game. Uh, I, their offense is... is is a limited offense for Alabama. It's weird. Uh, even with Milrow there. I mean, he, yeah, they don't run the ball. I don't know, well. man. They're really inconsistent running the ball. They're kind of like not willing to run Milrow, like make that like a big part of the offense. And like, I mean, everyone has said it. Yeah, like Milrow does throw a pretty good deep ball. But also Alabama's receivers aren't very good. So it's like Jermaine Burton is a solid player. He's a good college football player. But I don't even know if he's a draft pick. I like it's. But also, you know what? This is it's. As long as Nick Saban is there, th- this is not going to be normal for, Al- for for Alabama. This is a down year, pretty obviously for Alabama, and you know a down year. And there's there's still probably a top ten team in the country, which is, you know, oh god, the, the horror of of the Alabama fans what they're experiencing this year. <laughs> but um, it's I mean it's. And I'll say it over and over again. It's so good for college football for Alabama to not be great this year. It's it's just very good for the sport. It, it'd be good if Georgia was just kind of okay this year too. It'd be it, it'd be really really good for the sport if Georgia kind of stuck to their trend of this season. Which if they do, they will drop a game in the second half. That'd be really good for the sport. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'll I'll take Tennessee. I'll I'll take the points mainly because I. Tennessee had a really nice kind of come from behind, uh, exciting win using special teams against A and M. They saw really good playing some some solid defense this year. Tennessee's defense is better this year, and uh, their their offense, I I would argue, is probably taken a significant step back just because Joe Milton's just not very good. Which is um, that's kind of a lesson for a lot of people going. It's just like we've. We'd seen a lot of Joe Milton going into this year, and he 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 was who he was. He is who he is, and he played really well against Clemson in the Orange Bowl last year. But we had seen Joe Milton play well at times at Michigan too. 
But then he just turned into Joe Milton the rest of the season. So it's he's a talented guy. He has the ability. He can make every single throw. He just can't do it with any sort of consistency. Um, but I don't Alabama's so limited on offense. And and I'm I'm talking that relative to top ten, top twenty five yeah. type teams. Yeah. It's just nine points is just too much for me right now. But also that line is telling me it's just like uh betting principles would tell you to take Alabama here, I think. But it's I a, it's I a can't. weird number. I'm, I'm not gonna do it. It's okay, so you're on Tennessee. It's it's kind of a dead number. Nine's weird. I it just I don't know. It's kind of in the Yeah. All right, let's go to the Big Ten again. Minnesota, we're gonna throw this one in there because you know you're a Minnesota guy. You know, and it's, it's a big just, game. It's so f- it's a big game I, in the Big Minnesota Ten. Minnesota at Iowa. It's such a such a Big Ten game. I was laying four at home. I, I, I just, I just, it's Iowa is the most consistent team like, every single football season. I I feel the same exact way. I I hate this team. I they set football back a hundred years. Like. It's it's outrageous how bad their offense is. It should not be this bad. It's and yet they win. They win games because their defense is good, but yet they also play a bunch of bad offenses, so it kind of goes hand in hand. It, it's just it's so frustrating. And I saw some like meme <laughs> like like somebody posted it, I, I retweeted or the other day where it was just like it was like Iowa, you know, having one of the worst offenses in football and still winning games. And it was just like I can't remember what it was, but it was like basically someone said they they, they can't keep getting away with this. It's just I see that my 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 buddies. We have a we have a text thread, and that was uh, that meme and that gif was very uh, was was used pretty widely last weekend. But I am the reference. I can't remember the. I'll I'll look. Oh, it's it's Breaking Bad. That's uh, it's it's Jesse. Oh yeah, yeah, Breaking Bad. Where okay, he's just like you. it's it's in the very last season, and he just he's he's beside himself, and he just has a breakdown because Walter White got away with murdering someone again. Yeah, yeah, I got you. And okay. um, so this is um, I I was just a, it's so weird. They are the worst watch I think in all of FBS college football. They're unwatchable, but they're remarkably consistent. And they just kind of do what they do. Lee, you know how kind of when Lincoln Riley was at OU, the the rhetoric was always, gosh, man, that, that offense is so, it's the best offense in college football. One of the best offenses maybe that like we've ever seen in at this level of the sport. Man, if they could just have like a like a top forty defense, they'd win the national championship like every single year. Cause just that offense is so good. Like that's very easy logic to make. But like I I don't think it's that simple, right? Like there's other things that beget other things. And so like right now, right, like the kind of the mere argument of that is if Kirk Ferentz just hired a replacement level offensive coordinator, <laughs> Iowa would be a perennial top 10 program and would compete not just for the playoff, but for the national championship every single year. I don't think it's that simple, though. I, I, I think if Iowa had a better offense, their defense would probably be, be worse as well. I There's a culture thing. There is a... Ference has been there long enough where 
I think this is what he wants his culture to be. And I think if they got away from that, there's something that they do that just makes being good at offense not possible. Yeah, but they, yeah, I, I mean, they get away with it because, yes, their defense is very good. They always play a bad schedule. When they end up playing a team that has a pole second score, they get their butts kicked. Like when they play Ohio State, they give up like 50. So it's just like, and granted, I get Ohio State's an elite team. Like there's only a handful of schools that are like Ohio State, fine. But there's offenses out there that are also like just really, really good, but teams that are just average that could probably give Iowa a bunch of problems, but they don't see those teams very often. Yeah, I don't know if... Sure, like, it's fair. Like, bringing up Ohio State is the example there, but, like, it's always the same. In college football, if you have good receivers, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how good the defense is. If you, if you have NFL quarterback, NFL receivers, play the best college defense of all time, and you're going to shred them. It doesn't matter. And I... That's kind of what happened in those situations. Um... I don't know. Anyway, long story short, I'm taking Iowa to cover the minus four here. This is the game that they're <laughs> going to win. I, I see Iowa winning this game like 16 to three, something like that. Um, but what you didn't mention, which I think is is the most interesting, you know, subplot of that game, is that it's trending towards being the lowest total to a game ever in the history of betting. Oh my gosh! Yeah, right now and as I look, it's at 31 and a half. There you go. Oh my gosh. Which if if I'm if I'm correct and I'm pretty sure I'm correct about this, that ties the lowest total of all time, which was set by these these two teams last year when they played. <laughs> and it I was, was at, I was at that game. Under hit. I was at that hit. game the under hit. It was so cold. It was so cold. You guys don't understand how freaking cold it was in that stadium. <laughs> Minnesota ran for like 350 yards in that game and still only scored like 13 points. Uh, that being said, I hate Iowa. I ripped on them the entire segment here. When that number came out last week, and they were like catching 10 against at Wisconsin, I was like, oh, yeah, I will gladly take those 10 points. And then it was at 7, and I took the 7 again, and Iowa won outright. Because, of course, they did. Of course, they won outright against Wisconsin. Uh, and uh, another yeah. part of it is, you know, hey, my my Golden Gophers—they're bad team, bad football team, real bad team. Actually, it's, it's the worst Minnesota team uh, since the Tim Brewster era, and uh, they're they're dreadful on the offensive line. They're dreadful at quarterback, and you are going to be a bad team one hundred percent of the time if that is your reality. Okay, so we are both on Iowa. And that one. So we're, we're uh, simpatico so far in the first three games. Next up, pretty interesting matchup. Dukes at Florida State. Uh, number 16, Duke. Number four, Florida State. Florida State's laying two touchdowns at home. Minus 14. Oh God, easy. A big Give number. me Duke all day long. How on earth is that a 14-point spread? I mean, I think Duke kind of sucks. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get why. Ugh. Let me... Uh, let me just check out uh, like 14's big, man. Like that's telling you, like, yeah, you probably should take Florida State. That's basically what that number's saying. Florida State. I, I, that's Syracuse. not. That's, uh, dude. That is 100 percent people putting too much stock in Riley Leonard being hurt. Too, too much stock. This is SP plus Lee. 
has Florida State on a neutral field as only a three-point favorite over Duke. All right. Well, we'll see how how accurate SP Plus is because I will I will gladly take Florida State. Uh, this I don't think Duke's very good, and uh, I didn't even know Riley Leonard was hurt. So that's even a bonus. So like he's the only reason why that why that team would be any good, anyways. Uh, Florida State's been just killing people. Duke, have they? Who'd they kill? Smoke Syracuse, beat up on Vatek, and then they had that Clemson win. Clemson's a good team. But other than that, I mean, they yeah, I mean, smoked people. Clemson, or the, uh, Virginia Tech's bad. Syrac- Syracuse is bad. Um, the, the Boston College they, game was weird. The Boston College one was Boston weird. College that, is bad. Boston College is bad. And that was a weird game. Um, and, and I think, and, and rightfully so, they've lost some shine on that LSU win. Because LSU has, I, I don't even know, I... LSU has 2018 OU defense. And their they've offense their offense is good. I don't know if they've lost like they're able to hold LSU's offense down pretty pretty good in hindsight. I mean LSU scores a bunch of points. So I mean I think that's worth something. Um uh, Yeah, I guess this yeah. is it's tough for me to it's really tough for me to divorce my mind from OU's just sort of kind of skeleton crew given given Florida State all they possibly could handle last year. Uh, you know, it's... Florida, like, Florida State's good. They're a good team. I like Jordan Travis. Um, I, like their two, I like their two receivers. I like Jared Verse. I think if Florida State plays anybody who is, like, legit top 10, I think they're, they're going to get kind of beat up a little bit. They may be. They may be. Uh, I mean, on Florida State's schedule, I mean, this... They beat up on Syracuse last week. This is like their biggest game of the year, really, maybe for the rest of the season. So, I mean, and it's their Saying third like, straight home game. Man, the way my, like the way like my, the wheels are spinning in my brain, like, like kind of like sort of some of the realistic, like, like actually, like you can actually talk yourself into this thing, like actually happening just like to work out for OU. Can you, can you imagine a situation where, I, and like I don't think this is crazy. I mean, you're you're talking about Georgia losing one more game, Alabama losing one more game. The SEC might be out of the playoff. I mean, can you imagine OU getting to a playoff, having to play against Michigan, Florida State, and I don't Washington. know Washington? Oh my God! Probably more like well, I guess Washington just beat Oregon. I'd say maybe Oregon, but. Because, yeah. I mean, that would be a scenario. Let's just, like, for the sake of argument, and, like, this, this is not, it's probably not going to happen so much. I mean, these teams have to play seven more games to get to this point. Um, but a scenario like that, oh, you have to win it. Have to. You have to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's just no option. You do everything you possibly can. Every, you throw everything at it. Yeah, it would be the, I mean, that scenario, that's the most open season in years. I mean, ever, maybe since 2007, before there was a playoff. Uh, I mean, you might be able to push back on that. I know that you had more knowledge. In no, I mean, this is I what, do, but. there's been, um, over the last two weeks, it's fun, there's been like so many, so many of these guys who kind of run like some of these analytical models. They've been on podcasts and everything, and 
all their numbers say the same thing. This is like the number one teams in these models, which is mostly Ohio State. Ohio State is the, is, is the most common number one in these models. Um, the weakest number one since 2007. And so we right. are like, it's, I don't, we haven't had a 2007 season in the sense that like people are dropping like flies and everyone's losing, but there's not a, I mean, there's not a dominant team so far this year. There hasn't been. And I, oh man, the sport needs that so bad. So I hope, of course it'd be great. I, I want, I want Oklahoma to be dominant. That, that would be good. That'd, that'd be great for the sport, but man, that was 16 years ago that I like doing this. I like doing this every once in a while because it doesn't seem like it was that long ago because we're old guys now, even though we're not that old. Like I'm back in, in, you know, in 2008 when you and I were at OU and going to OU games. And if you were listening to like, if a podcast weren't even out yet in 2008, that wasn't even a thing. That would be like us listening to a podcast or a, or a sports radio show in 2008. And the host talking about the 1992 college football season. We would, you, you and I would have been like, who cares, man? Turn the page. <laughs> I think the game, like the style of the game in those 16 years from 20, 2007 to now has changed much less than it did from 1992 to 2008. I'd hope so. Because, I mean, that 2008 Oklahoma offense was, I mean, pretty modern. I mean, you could see an offense like that playing today. <laughs> I mean, easily. They were under center so, a lot yeah. more than than you would see yeah, these they days, were. but they were, yeah. Um but yeah, I mean in terms of no, I mean even even then that season a vast majority of the teams in the Big 12 were just were were in the shotgun 95% of the time. We're going no huddle or maybe not necessarily no huddle at that time, but yeah, I mean it's it's still I mean it was the air raid was taking over college football at that time too and that's essentially what has happened now. But um Gosh, that is crazy to think. 2007 didn't seem like that long ago. But now, of course, when you go on YouTube and you watch like videos from that, it's like they look like they're from like 19 to the 80s. And See, like, yeah, that's that's technology. Like we had HD in 2007. There's HD TV. It's just the they've been uploaded and they've been saved poorly. So the quality looks worse than it was at the time, which that's all of our faults for not not getting high quality video on the Internet. <laughs> yeah, that's a. Uh, so. Anybody who's in it, like that, that's, I think that's really important going forward. You got to have good quality of stuff because I'm, I feel like I'm on an island on this too, but, and I've talked to you about this too, but like it's the, the ABC and the ESPN broadcast just in 720p look awful. It's terrible. I, but like I look it up and I'm the only one who cares about that, I guess. I, yeah, you're, it's not like, there's a difference between bad, like four by three footage on YouTube. 720p HD and 1080p and like it's not that big it's not that big of a difference when you're watching on a, a television it's not that big of a difference like there's a there's a big difference in certain things but you're you're very weirdly like I can see the difference I, but it's not that big I notice it I notice a I notice a big difference I it's and I don't know how it is but like I'm 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 just I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of bitter that like OU's really big win over OU Texas. If I want to rewatch it, it's, it's gonna it's gonna be so freaking pixelated the rest of my life. It looks terrible. Like I just I don't. Gosh. Looks awful. And then like I can go it's so random on ESPN Plus. ESPN for whatever reason has OU versus Colorado in the Big Twelve Championship game in two thousand and four in full ten eighty p. And it is 
it's so clear. It looks so good. And like I don't I don't get it. I, I don't know what is they used to, they used to broadcast in 1080p. They do not anymore. And so it's like that's unacceptable. I think I don't, ABC I don't know why ESPN's always been 720p. I don't think that's ever been 1080. I remember back when we had like the Cox cable boxes, like they'd actually tell you like if it was in 720 or 1080, and ESPN was always like 720. And it looks bad. It looks very bad. They need to change it. The difference between 720p and 1080p is actually not that big of a difference. Or, or maybe 1080i. It's just really not. I remember looking it up one time. When I go, I, I mean, I'm just saying, like, when I flip, when I flip from ESPN and ABC, which it all just looks pixelated, it kind of looks like standard definition to my eyes. And then you go over to, like, CBS and Fox, with bo- which, which both do it in 1080p. It does look a lot better. looks a lot better. It's not as good. The 1080p in 2023 is way worse than 1080p in 2004. Because of because everything now is just streamed, even even cable is streamed, um, and so it's all compressed and it looks bad. And like I I just I don't like that. I'm a I'm a format snob. I like stuff looking good. Oh man, this is this this is by far the most boring five minutes of our show we've ever had. Uh, this is the longest longest pick segment ever. I will like, stand on an island. I want everything to be I'm, in eight K. So that'll wrap our Duke-Florida State preview. Uh, Grant's on Duke. I'm on Florida State. <laughs> uh, lastly, uh, now we can talk about USC. <laughs> after, after an hour and almost 50 minutes. Uh, so USC's back at home. Obviously just lost to Notre Dame. Got, got thumped by Notre Dame. Uh, USC's six-and-a-half point favorite over Utah. And we know Utah's offense is bad. Uh, I have not looked at any updates this week. Are, are they going to get their quarterback back finally, or is he still out? Do we know? I, I just is Kyber going to play? I don't know. I, I think I think it's pretty safe to assume that probably not. He's probably out. Yeah, yeah, probably out. Oh, Cam rising, uh, but I see that number, and it's probably a trap line, and it's my emotions coming over from last week. But I want to I want to grab, I mean Utah by far because because of USC's defense and i was like like i get they're coming off a blowout loss and they're coming home and it's in theory a great spot for usc but utah can play defense and they might be able to strangle and give cable williams problems and who knows maybe utah's offense will be able to figure out something against that bad usc defense even though usc's defense was not the issue against notre dame weirdly enough no notre dame's uh, offense straight you- up was not was not good last week and I mean Notre Dame is kind of what Notre Dame is. They're just kind of they're they're a good team, not anything like too terribly special, but a good team, definitely above average, like not like a title contender. Uh, but even though I I don't love this pick because I think it goes against the book, it's a it's mainly it's more of a pick against Lincoln Riley and USC, and and this is this is kind of a spot where things could spiral for this Trojans team given the remaining games and. Caleb Williams, he struggled against Utah last year. Utah's going to know exactly what to do with him again this year. Uh, catching six and a half, I'll take the Utah Utes. I'm actually going to be on USC. I'm going to go the other direction on this one. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's tough. Like That was a... Um, USC got blown out against Notre Dame on Saturday because because of their offense. That's that's why they got their 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 crap absolutely rocked. 
Um, they were awful. Caleb Williams was terrible. Uh, he looked. Caleb Williams looked like he did against Baylor in 2021. That's 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 what that See, looked that's, like. That's what, and people kept saying like that was his worst game of his college career, which it it may have been statistically, but I. I still think that Baylor game was, I mean, or Iowa State, and they won that game. Like, he was bad against Iowa State uh, in, in 2021. Uh, but, yeah, I, that's what I, when I was watching that game, I, I was thinking back to Baylor mostly from 21. I was like, yeah, this, this, this looks pretty familiar. Him holding onto the ball too long. Uh, him trying to escape but not having any lanes there. Uh, trying to do too much. And that's the one question mark with Caleb Williams. He's awesome. But when he faces defenses with a pulse, he looks kind of normal. And he doesn't face a whole lot of good defenses. And his, his, I mean, didn't face really any last year, with the exception of Utah. And they lost. I think one of my, one of my hot takes for USC when I watch them, they don't really have any good receivers. Uh, Taj Washington and Brendan Rice are, I wouldn't call them jags, but they're just fine. I, they're, they're not really anything special at all. They're... They're not as good as Lee Morris, I don't think. I mean, they're totally different players, so I don't know if that's fair. But um, I think that's kind of an issue for them. Um, but, I mean, it's it's just so like a Lincoln-Riley team. Of course their best receiver is a true freshman who has only been in the program for two and a half months. Like, of course that's the case. Where's Mario, where's Mario Williams, man? Where's Zachariah Branch? I think he was like the next big thing. I was ta- that's, like- that's who I meant. Zachariah Branch is their best receiver. And he's oh oh he's he's their most talented for sure, but uh, I don't know. And so I there's gosh man there's a part of me who because like I mean you read all of the stuff this past week of just like there was a lot of oh man I think OU fans probably were right like actual think pieces that were written that happened this well, like uh... last week or this past week I don't like that shut up I want that I I I want you to keep giving us fuel. Yeah, it, but it's it's a classic like welcome to the party pal moment from Die Hard. Like, yeah, I oh we've we've known all this about Lincoln Riley. Sure, uh, my fear, my biggest fear, and I, I'm sure I said it on this podcast. My biggest fear was that Riley would go to USC, and then he would all of a sudden decide to start making adjustments and all the things that he should have learned at OU and started changing up and and learning how to be a better coach and making his team better, he would be like, you know what? Now I'm going to do that here at a different school. And it'd be a different kind of culture. The defense would get better. They'd, they'd, they'd win these. But, man, no. Like, it's the same guy, the same style, same culture, same program, win a lot of games in what's right now actually a pretty good conference. It wasn't last year, really. It was okay. But, holy cow, I mean, it's the same team. And the more data we get, the more football seasons we get of Lincoln Riley and the more of the same we see, it's like, oh, okay, well, this is what he is. He's, he's a really good coach, but boy, oh boy, does he, have a, does he have a ceiling? And it's nowhere near the national championship game. No, no, no. And the guy does not care a, a damn about defense. And we've always known that, but... If there's any question mark, it's definitely been answered now, man. Like, it's just poor Alex Grinch. I don't like. I don't know. Watch Alex Grinch get fired and then go and 
be like a, a halfway decent defensive coordinator somewhere else. And, that, and that, that's like that's like the next shoe to drop. And I hope I hope other OU fans. I hope because Alex Grinch is not he's not going to get through this. He's going to be the scapegoat. So um, I hope other OU fans will join me and just rooting for Alex Grinch like freaking crazy wherever he ends up after USC. Hundred percent, hundred percent, man. As much as hope, I hope he ends up yeah. somewhere. I hope he I hope he ends up like. In the SEC somewhere, like with a def- with like a defensive head coach, and because uh, you know what, Alex Grinch is a cool dude. Like Alex Grinch a lot as a person. I don't really like Lincoln. Total Riley opposite that of Lincoln Riley, anymore. man. Like total opposite of Lincoln Riley. Actually, was up front. Would tell the truth. Uh, he wouldn't try to. I don't know. Like treat us like we were stupid. Like we we didn't know anything about football. Heck, we would ask him questions. And he just didn't know. He didn't know the answers to because he knew that there was no answers because his defense was so bad, and he didn't make up any dumb excuses for it. Uh, boy, oh boy! But his his system sucks, though. I I, I hate his system. Yeah, I and don't he, like it. It's, it's very anybody any offensive coordinator who has any sort of creativity or any sort of I guess I don't know, any sort of skills that revolve around like game planning just obscenely easy to game plan against. You know exactly what you're going to get. The only thing that you have, the only variable is essentially it's just like, oh, I hope they don't guess right and slant to where we're running this play. That's it. <sighs> but yeah, I mean, watching that game, seeing that play out that way, I mean, knowing that USC was going into this really difficult stretch of games and then they lose that for, you know, in a spot for Notre Dame where. I kind of wish Notre Dame wasn't coming off a lot because I was like, oh, maybe Notre Dame's not that good. And they're going to kind of pack it in. And like you and I are both kind of thinking USC was going to win that game just because I did, of. Yes. Yeah. And, and boy, that's oh even, boy, no. Go look at the freaking box score, man. Notre Dame didn't play that. Their defense played well, obviously. Yeah. They didn't, their offense didn't show up to win that game. Only five yards per play against USC's defense at home. That sucks. That's terrible. Notre Dame's Ugh. defense, and like, it's so funny to say that in a game they won by four touchdowns. But like, that was. I mean, the last you know, touchdown was kind of a freebie. I mean, it, but still, whatever. Like, the last one was like a, what, fumble six or a pick six or something. And, uh, but whatever. It was just. Yeah, definitely an interesting. Point. Interesting stretch here for USC. And that's, I mean, how they looked against Notre Dame, all five of their remaining games are losable. They could absolutely lose to Cal for sure. And so on the road are they going Cal? no they're they're not going to lose all those games. I I think that's no. But like can just for the sake of argument, can we can we just bring this up here? And I know it won't happen, but like in a world where money is not a thing or is like not a consideration in this regard. If you're a big wig at USC and USC goes 6 and 6 this year, do you want to fire Lincoln Riley? Sake of argument. It's not going to yes. happen, but sake of argument. Y- yeah, because... And one, he, I don't think Lincoln Riley's going to want to be there anyways. I Like, he goes 6-6, six and six, knowing that the Big Ten's next with terrible weather. I mean, like, I'm not, I always rip on the Big Ten defenses. Granted, they would have a lot more of a challenge against a Lincoln Riley offense more. I mean, that they would be able to move the ball more than... But still, it's... It'd be more no, of a challenge I, I, for USC day in and day out. I think it's a little bit more like what I, like it, it's 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 turned into a cliche at this point. Which you know, when Lincoln Riley was at OU, it kind of annoyed me. It annoyed me because I thought it was lazy. 
But it's it's clear. I mean, and it's now that I'm saying this out loud, it's kind of obvious, but football is a very extremely violent sport. The most the more violent team is gonna win a vast majority of the time. And I like I, I know what you say about Big Ten defenses and everything, and I agree with you sometimes to an extent, but if there's one thing that I know that like in the Midwest and in that culture and that region that they do emphasize, it's violence and toughness and strength and all of that. And those are the things that Lincoln Riley's offenses have always struggled against. Teams that are willing to just go in there and get in the mud and punch them in the mouth. And that's what the Big Ten is. That's shit, man, that's what Iowa is. That's what Wisconsin is. That's what Illinois is right now. That's so you never it's, know. it's not a like great with, yeah. Even like even now, UCLA, UCLA's got a top five defense in college football right now. Like I'm sure they're licking their chops to punch USC in the in the mouth. Especially after the way last year ended. Kind of a heartbreaking loss for UCLA last year. So, I mean, man, that'd be something, wouldn't it? They they lose out, they go six and six. That would be But I'm kinda like I think oh another gosh. another delicious aspect of this is you can't convince me one of the reasons why Lincoln Riley, like I'm as certain as someone who has no inside knowledge or info on this can be certain. A part of Lincoln Riley leaving OU to go to USC is because he figured the Pac-12 would be a lot easier. Can't, can't convince me otherwise. Can't do it. And it is just deliciously ironic this year. The Pac-12 is like I is the best conference in college football this year. They, they just are. I, I mean... That is hilarious. He deserves it. That's absolutely what he deserves personally as a human being. Yeah, and he got like, and they, and they got like all the toughest games at the end of their schedule. Like they opened up the Pac-12 play with Stanford, who's awful, but just came back and beat Colorado. So like, had they found a pulse? Then they got Arizona State, who's not very good, but they've gotten better. And obviously the Colorado game, which they were up big, and then they let Colorado come all the way back. And Arizona now has gotten a pulse and almost beat them. And, and then obviously uh, now they play a non-conference game. And now they got you know Utah, Cal, Washington, Oregon, then UCLA. I mean, it's just, like you said, they're all losable. They just lost another game. All we have, really, and correct me if I'm wrong, but 2020, which, again, fake season, didn't count because – the one time Lincoln, Lincoln Riley won a bowl game, so like at o- at Oklahoma, uh, but also whatever. like it does count. Like I, it does. Like the whole them no, blowing I, that I game know. against I, Kansas State fits perfectly in the Lincoln Riley canon. Perfectly. No, I, I know it does count. Like, but what I was going to make though the point is to to your point, they lose those two early games to K State and Iowa State. The team though, like remember, a big talking point after that was like, is this team going to quit? Like, and the team didn't quit and they bounced back and they, they won the rest of their games. Like it was, it was really impressive. It was like, Oh, like a team lost two games and Lincoln rally, Lincoln rally team was able to write the ship and then play their best football the rest of the year. And by the end of that season, even though the 2020 season was dumb and like, who cares? Like Oklahoma was one of the best teams in college football that year. They were, they were playing great football. Yeah, I would. I, I I'd argue in my deathbed they were the they were the second best team in college football at the end of that season. Doesn't matter, but they were. So, but now in this spot, they start six and zero. They lose this game to Notre Dame against a good Notre Dame team. But I don't think that there was a spot like that. That twenty twenty season, 
The rest of this, I mean, they had Texas, but Texas was Texas. They were just fine. They weren't anything special. Uh, the rest of the schedule for OU wasn't that that crazy. Like Oklahoma State was was good that year, right? And they Bedlam was kind of a ranked matchup, I think. And they smoked Oklahoma State. Oklahoma but, like, State was decent, have, but I think Oklahoma State kind of fell off a cliff after OU smoked them. Okay, yeah, that's right. But like Oklahoma didn't have like a gauntlet of games back to back to back to back like USC does now in a spot where they could easily turtle if they lose to Utah. Like, and knowing that culture, that cult, the culture Lincoln Riley is all about, which is not very strong. Oh boy. Like there really is a situation where they could go nine and three, eight and four here, man. Like, or worse. Oh, for or sure. Worse. I, I think, man, nine and three right now is certain. I mean, at least certain. They still have to play Oregon and Washington. They're, they ain't beaten Oregon and Washington. That's not happening. Um, but like, yeah, I think, I think one of the things and like, gosh, this, this feels really great to say like you bring Like, I, I think that's a really good point that you bring up about how, and there were a lot of times, there's a lot of times that Lincoln Riley teams had heartbreaking losses in the middle of the season and then they would rebound and they'd play well, you know, championship November and all of that stuff. Best part about this, this USC team has no one anywhere near as good as Ramondre Stevenson. No one anywhere near as good as Marvin Mims. Honestly, they probably don't have anyone anywhere near as good as like Braden Willis. That they're they're Caleb Williams. That's what the team is. Their offensive line's not any good. They brought in some really good defensive players to the transfer portal, but hey, wouldn't you know it? Like, we've seen Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley defenses have lots of NFL players on them and still field a bad defense. That 2021 defense had like seven freaking draft picks on it. They sucked. They were awful. <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean, it, it's we're halfway through. Okay, like, it's been great. It's been, a, it's been, it's been the, basically the polar opposite of last season right now. Will the... By the end of the season, will we still be thinking that? I hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. Because all the stuff we were kind of hoping that we'd see from Oklahoma last year and we'd see from USC last year and then we were dead wrong about and you made this point, I don't know, a few episodes ago or I think you did. Like, I don't know, maybe we were just a year too early. And if that's the case, like, okay. Subscribe. That man. was what like, if, hey man, if, if 2022 was, was it and that's the, that's the penance that we had to pay, that we had to pay as OU fans and and everything that we wanted to see in that first season is going to come true and more this season and then and then in future seasons I, sign up baby I'll 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 take that trade all day long whatever that the 2022 season is done it's over it's in it's in the rearview mirror I don't have to think about yeah. it anymore if I don't have if I don't want to not and you know if you want to get real technical not just the 2022 season but the 2021 season as well which you've been on record saying was one of your least favorite OU football seasons Ever. That is that is my least favorite OU football team of all time. So even though they won eleven games, <laughs> but uh, all right, well, the most joyless eleven win season ever in the history of college football. Hey, we'll always have that DJ Graham one handed interception. By the way, DJ Graham time. Maybe he's going to be the guy that steps up with Andrew Anthony out. Pretty sure he's out for the season. Oh, that's right. That's right. He tweeted that like six weeks ago. 
Ah, uh, well, we could always hope. Maybe next Whatever. year. For it's going to be, it's, it's still going to be, every, it's like, everyone's talking about like, who is like, who's going to step up and who's going to be the guy who like, it's, everyone's going to be so freaking shocked when Stogner in the last six games has like 550 yards and 10 touchdowns. It's going to be like, finally, that's how you know. If Stogner does that in the second half, Lee, is it just written in the stars? Oh, he's winning the natty this year? Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, All right, let's recap our picks real quick as we finish up this marathon episode. Uh, We missed the bye week, so we're making up for it here in this podcast. We're both on Ohio State minus four. We are both on Tennessee plus nine. We are both on Iowa minus four. You are on Duke plus the 14. I am on Florida State minus the 14. And you are on USC laying six and a half. I am on Utah plus six and a half. 11 a.m. kickoff, OU UCF on Saturday. Everyone enjoy it. Uh, I am, uh, I'm tired. Any final thoughts, Grant? Nip high football rules. All right. So we'll be back after. OU UCF to talk all about that one. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.